Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the experience agency, D-Flash. Each week, I bring on an interesting thought leader from a really cool industry who's doing really amazing game-changing things. And this week's episode is no difference. I am so delighted to have Sca- Sarah Sclerandaris, a founder and CEO of Sclerandaris, which is this awesome, she was an accessories company, and I hope I didn't butcher her last name. She's smiling. It's a good thing. So, Sarah, so so glad to have you here. It's so good to be here, Laura. So, every time I have a guest on the show, I always start with the exact same question, and it's always fascinating to see where it goes when I ask this question. So, Sarah, what was your first job? My first ever, ever job as yeah, a kid? Sure. We'll go with that one. I was actually um, living in the UK, and... Uh, I went uh, for um, strawberry picking. Strawberry picking was my little side job in the in, during the holidays. Um, yeah, that was my first ever side How job. How old were you? I was probably thirteen years old, and uh, it was backbreaking. But I still love strawberries. <laughs> how, so, like, so, so, how do you end up picking strawberries? Like, you like went on your job. Because I'm 13 years old. Well, we lived in England in an area where there were a lot of strawberry fields. And so that's what you did. So like child labor. You could either, it was child labor. You could either go pick strawberries or I was too young to go work as a server at the local pub. But I did that as well and uh, babysitting. But, those, but, but strawberry picking was my first ever little paid job. And what did you learn from that? Um, I learned that it was an incredibly tough job and I always looked at fruits and vegetables in a very different way. And I just always thought about how they get from the field to the supermarket to the plate. So that's interesting because it's still, it still holds true because every person I interview, it's always the same thing. That first job instills a couple of pieces in your thought process that when you get to where you currently are, all play a role in it. And considering that your shoes, which are so fabulous, thank you, <laughs> um, and fit amazingly well, are so well made, and you think about that same process of how they're designed, how they're made, and how you bring them to essentially the plate or to us to buy them is kind of the same thing. So you see, it always plays well. Well, it always made me think, and I think that is true. That stayed with me. It always made me think about the 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 people who did that for a living for me that was a little part-time job as a kid to make a little bit of money but for the people who did that I mean they were seasonal fruit pickers or vegetable pickers that was the job so it always stayed with me to appreciate other people's work whatever that work might be because you have to do it well and if it's not done well, you're not, you know, it's not going in the sort of supply chain. And it doesn't matter whether you're making a car, whether you're um, making shoes, whether you're working in a restaurant, whether you're whatever kind of work, there's always a process. And that really stayed with me. So I think it's the respect of other people's work, profession, labor, whatever that may be. Awesome. That's fantastic. So... Let's talk about what you do now, because it's kind of awesome, and we'll be sharing all the links in the show notes to shop and buy all sorts of fabulous shoes, because, again, they're amazing. So I always, as a kid, had a complete passion for shoes, always, ever since I was probably five years old. 
and I would drive my mother absolutely crazy because I just wanted to go to shoe stores during you know the weekend. I, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> except my mother wasn't so keen on that. We, um, I was born in Italy. My mother's from Egypt. My father's Italian, and um, that passion just all I could dream about is one day I'm going to grow up. And I am going to have my own money, and I can buy my own shoes. And no one's going to tell me, no, you can't buy that. Yes, you can. Yes, you have to wear those. So that was, that was the first little seed. Um, later on, we left Italy when I was around 11, moved to the UK. And it was really my mother who said, I think you need to be a shoe designer. So we have so to figure early. out that early. I mean, I was probably, by then, I was probably 14, 15. Okay, so that early. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, wow. and and so we started looking. Um, she actually wrote to the design council, the British design council in in England. That's where we lived, and said, you know, what schools are there? There are only two schools, and I went to one of them, which was De Montfort University, um, and it was it's the only it still is the only university that has a um, shoe design course that is at a university level. So I I. Um, I graduated from school. The British system's a little bit different. At 16, then I went to college, to a design college, and then I went to university. And I, it was my only, on, on the application, you, you had to put your first, second, third choice, and I only had one choice. Shoes. That's it. It was Leicester University, and I remember at the interview, they said, well, what are you going to do if you don't get in? I said, I'll just do, try again next year, or figure another way to design shoes. Because I'm going to do this. Because I'm going to do this. And that was, uh, that, was that. I got in, thankfully. Um, I graduated. And then I thought, well, really, I want to go back to Italy. That's where I want my career to start. So I started freelancing for this little tiny factory in the Marche area. And, uh, and then my, my first big job was working for Benetton. And um, they had a various uh, shoe brands. They also owned a big shoe company. And that's really where I, my, I started working in the business in Italy. And awesome. it was great. The design studio was, you know, a few meters away from the guys that cut the pattern. And then they were a few meters away from the factory. You went down the staircase and there's this fabulous factory. And they'd call you on the phone and say, Sarah, we're, we're, I need you. Come, you know, I don't understand how you want the stitching. You want it like this. You want it like that. Um, so you really worked hand in hand, cheek to cheek with with the, with the experts, and some of those people had been doing it since they were you know sixteen years old. And they, it's just an art for them. It's an art. It's a passion. I think the same passion I have for shoes. Um, you know the the guy that's making the heels um, has that same passion. Uh, it's mostly men actually that work in the uh, in some of the processes, um, the heel making, the last making, which I'll go into, um, and then in the stitching, it's mostly women. So it's interesting how. Huh. And, Why is that delineation? Is that because one it seems more manly or more feminine, or is it just? I, that's it a good down? question. I don't know. I think uh, traditionally, even in uh, ready to wear, um, there are a lot more women who are stitching. Uh, maybe because traditionally, culturally, uh, you know, women are the ones who have made clothes, although tailors are usually men, men right? Right. So, but I think at home, uh, 
you know, grandmothers were making the clothes for the rest of the family. So I think maybe it comes from that. You know, seamstresses uh, are generally women. Um, But there are so many... So first of all, when you start making or the start the process of shoemaking, obviously you have to think of what it is, you know, what's the inspiration, what's inspiring me. I always think about what I want to wear and what I'm missing or what's missing, you know. If everybody's doing cowboy boots and I'm not into the cowboy boot trend, like what am I what do I want to wear on my feet? And I always think about the end use. I always think about where am I going? I don't want to think too hard about my end use. I don't want to think, I don't want to open my closet and go, oh, but that doesn't go with this and this doesn't go with that. So that's always my first thought. My second thought is what inspires me, you know, and, and it can be a material. I go to leather shows. I live in New York, so you walk around and you see all kinds of... It's your of, canvas. It's a canvas. I mean, you see all kinds of people wearing all kinds of crazy outfits and you go, oh my God, that's fabulous. I want something like that. So you have a, you have a canvas. You start sketching ideas um, and then those sketches have to take form. But that is a process that is quite long. So generally the first thing is once I have an idea of what I want to do... I go to Italy where the shoes are made and I always you always start with the last. So the last is the shape of the shoe. So if you have a pointy toe shoe or a round toe shoe, you have to go to a last maker. It's a bit like making a, a sculpture really. You go to a last maker and together you start with a, uh, a last made of wood and it's really the shape that your shoe is going to have. And they, they put car filler. I mean, this is how you, make, how you start making shoes. You put car filler. And then together, you kind of go, okay, this is the point you want, yes. And they start sanding it down and sanding it down. You go a little bit more, no, add a bit more car filler, let it dry. And so you're literally building a sculpture. So that is going to have the shape of the toe, mostly, that you want. And you, you obviously decide the heel height. And there are certain t- very technical parameters you use for fit, right? You can't go to a certain... It can't be size fifty-five. <laughs> well, well, but it also can't be so so narrow that no, no foot would ever go, go in. So you obviously have certain parameters of how you build it. It's a bit like building a cake mold, right? You want a round cake, well, you need a round tin. If you have a triangular cake, you have to build a triangular tin. So that's really the beginning. Once you do that, you go back to the factory. You you build your first idea of a shoe, whether it's it could be a pump, a boot. And then you take a look at it and you go, oh, no, I think I want to take a little bit more off or add a little bit more on. So once you have that, then you go to the heel maker. So you can either work together with a heel maker, also with a sketch, and say, I want my heel to be, you know, this shape. This pointy, this silhouette. This silhouette. I want it to be, you know, kitten heel, or I want it to be, you know, or a a big... uh, the, The height is already determined. Oh, You have to determine the height when you make the last. You have to determine that. And, uh, you know, I want my heel to be like a golf ball, what, whatever it is. And you build it together with the last. It's a bit like building a chair. You have the shape of the chair, and then you have to build the legs. The legs are, is, are the, he, is the heel. Um, and then with that, you have your basic structure of the shoe. Now that heel could be wrapped in leather, it could be lacquered, it can be have a wood finish, it can be shiny, metal finish. I mean, there's a 
endless possibilities. So once you have all your pieces together, um, the, the factory will then, the sample room will then make your first prototype and then they have to make the outsole. So you have many, many components that all come together. You have uh, leather that comes from a, a tannery that's in one location, the heel maker, the last maker, the insole maker, um, the shoebox maker, the tissue paper. I mean, it's like so many different things that all have to come together. To put one pair of shoes. To put box. one pair of shoes. And then making, the actual shoe making has so many different uh, processes, machinery, shoes even go into an oven, like most people don't know this, um, to be set. How does a shoe go into an oven? So once, uh, once you make your upper, which is the, the top of the shoe, so let's say you have a lace-up, once you make that um, and it's lasted over your last, which is the shape, and then, on top of it. Yeah, and then you, um, in order for it to set, it goes into, it looks like a baker's oven. It just goes into a, like a conveyor belt. And it's set at a certain temperature, and then it goes out of the oven, and it sets. And then from that, you will then put glue. You glue the outsole. You uh, attach the heel. Um, but there are, that's something that most people don't know. So many materials, um, of course, leather is very resistant, but there are other materials that cannot, cannot go through that process, or they will... Sustain a significant stress in that process. It's a lot of stress that these materials go through. Um, so the better the quality, the the less you know the, the the better quality leathers. It's a bit like you know I always like to compare things to other things. If you have a leather couch and you're sitting on it thousands of times, if it's a really good quality leather, the the leather couch is going to age much better. You know, it's like your skin. You take care of it. You put cream on it. You don't sit under the sun. Um, no it's, wrinkles. It, no wrinkles, all right? If you don't take care of it, you're going to get more wrinkles. So um, most people don't realize how, how intricate shoemaking really is. No, because it's fascinating. Because I'm like, because, you know, you think about it. You see a shoe on the shelf in a store, and you're like, oh, great-looking shoe. And you have no idea that it, it starts as this piece of wood. Is this on video anywhere? Or did you ever shoot a video for this? Um, I have actually started shooting um, a li uh, some videos. Yes, um, I've started shooting, and now we have to piece it all together. Um, and um, it's fascinating. It's completely fascinating. I love it. The process of making shoes, I will never get tired of it. Awesome. And what I also love about the process is, especially as a designer... Um, I always ask the experts, you know, you, I have my opinion, but I, if I go to the heel maker and together I love to work with the person that's helping you to design the heel because you kind of do it together and you go, oh, I don't know, is that too heavy looking for the, oh, no, I think that's, you know, that, I think that actually might be quite great or what, it's just so great to ask um, the opinion of, the expert. People who have actually been doing it for years. They've been doing it for years and they love what they're doing. So often what happens when I'm in Italy is I'll go I'll go to a let's say it's let's say it's the guy that does the heel finishes. He doesn't even do the heels, he just does the finishes. 
and you start working and you describe and you go, I think I have something you might like. And you'll go off and look in a bucket, in a drawer, in a someplace, and you'll come back with a vintage heel from 20, 30 years before, and he goes, I think this is what you're looking for. And you go, oh, this is exactly what I'm looking for. And that's how, but if you, that's how you build things together. And that's what I love about shoemaking in Italy. It's a passion that's been, it's transcended over generations. Um, people often say, what's the difference, you know, so what's the difference between something made in another country or made in Italy? The Italians really, <laughs> yes, the Italians really have a knack for design. They, you know, the Renaissance started in Italy, you know. There's a reason for that. I also believe that each country has its, you know, its thing. You know, you don't come back from Italy and go, oh, I had the best burger. I mean, that's not what you might have, but, you know. You or you, <laughs> you, you, every country has, you know, one country might be, you know, engineering, technology. Another one is the music. Another one, I mean, every country has a thing. Italy's a shoes. <laughs> Italy's definitely shoes, fashion, design. It's, but it's, it's really considered a craft. Um, other countries do it and they do a great job, but it's not as much of a craft. It's not done with soul and passion. And that's what I find of course I'm Italian and I grew up there and but that's what I find that the experience of working with these fabulous crafts craftsmen craftswomen is that they just put amazing passion into it so there's always some it's always a collaboration between all these people um, it's not just someone like myself, saying to the manufacturer, oh, no, 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 you make it like this, and that's it, that's how I want it, just do it. It's, it really, truly is a craft. Well, it's cool, because it's, it's like the beginnings of what we talk about entrepreneurship, where it's, you know, you've got to find, the, find your mentors, the best people who can help you, who've done this before, but then you also, it takes a team, and like, whoever is specialized in certain aspects of it, in order to create something new, and it sounds like the what, the Italian shoemaking community is like this amazing collaboration of these really amazing entrepreneurs and craftspeople who all come together to make this incredible shoe. Yeah. So how did you, so okay, so you were born to do this, clearly. <laughs> what did you do before you started your shoe line? Oh, so um, after I graduated from university as a shoe designer, I moved back to Italy, worked for Benetton, um, and then I had an opportunity to come here, and I really thought, oh, I'll just stay in the U.S. for a year or two. I mean, my life is, you know, I have no plans to really move there permanently. And then I came here, and I started working for various shoe companies. I worked for a very traditional American company called G.H. Bass, the Penny Loafer. And that's another whole different way of making shoes, the sort of traditional craft that was still made in uh, in Wilton in the north of um, Maine really? and that was hand make sh yeah hand making of another different type um, I learned so much there um, and then I had an opportunity to come to New York and I was head designer at Banana Republic 
who at the time they were making all their shoes in Italy. So I was going back and forth to Italy. Even Bass was making a lot of shoes in Italy. Um, And I later had an opportunity to work for Juicy Couture and launch their shoe collection. That's what they wanted to add. And those shoes were made in Italy. So I was lucky that all these companies... Wow. I just remember Juicy Couture in the windows on Fifth Avenue with these amazing tracksuits. Yeah. (laughs) I just remember going, oh my God, these tracksuits. I don't think I was probably like a freshman or something in college walking down Fifth Avenue to see that store and going... Really? <laughs> it was their, a, their it shoes was, were made in Italy. They had a lot of, wow. especially in the beginning, we had a lot of fabulous shoes and boots made in Italy. And then, you know, of course the market wanted things that were more fun and, you know, with embroideries and dangly things and charms. and. Um, but like, this is an abomination. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was at um, Donna Karen at DKNY for quite a few years. So... All these in all these companies, I learned so many different things. In some, it was more managerial; others, it was uh, really um, learning more about how to build a collection that went from super casual to a lot more dressy. Um, I traveled. I mean, in all these in all these companies, they all made footwear in various parts of the world. I mean, and some were as far away as, uh, I don't know. I mean, there was Brazil, there was Indonesia, China. Um, I think I went to El Salvador, um, Puerto Rico. So, I mean, I, I managed to travel to, I, I traveled to so many great places, Vietnam. Um, and uh, so you, in each place, you learn a, a different technique or a different um, you learn. You just learn so many different things, and so those those uh, those experiences were really gold. I couldn't do what I do now without having done all those steps. All those steps, um, and in each one, I met some fantastic people. And I've always been very good at keeping in touch with people, and that's I something. Preach this daily. <laughs> always. I mean, obviously, there are people along the way that you. Um, you have a certain affinity to, so it's just very easy. And working in the same industry, and it's not a huge industry, there are certain times of the year where there are trade shows that you just just meet up, keep in touch. Um, and uh, for me, it was something I always wanted to do after having worked for all these different companies. I did want to build my own um, because I love what I do so much. You were built for this. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I walk around and I look at people's feet and sometimes people think, oh, why is she's she looking? She's, she's looking down at me and like, well, I'm just looking at your feet. I'm curious to see what yes. your situation is. Because, you know, yeah. I make them all daily. And so you decide to you know, make the leap from going to a safe corporate job to becoming an entrepreneur. Was there a moment where you're like, I'm going to go do this? So there was really an interim moment in between the corporate um, career and the safety net, which was obviously having a paycheck. Um, I did branch out and started consulting. So that was something that was a little scary, but work came. And so all of a sudden I thought, oh, this is not so scary. I wanted to do this, and look at look look. I'm doing it. 
Um, so then the next step, which is the scariest, which is to not completely for faith and say, I'm just going to do this. Um, that was sort of definitely scary, kept me up at night, terrifying. but terrifying. But I think had I not had the interim of consulting for a couple of years, I wouldn't have gone into it straight from the corporate job. You eased job. yourself into it. I eased myself into it, yes. Um, and so at some point, I just said to myself, whatever is on that list of things I really want in, to do in life, this is one of them. You either stop talking about it or you do it. Just do it. And I thought, all right, just do it. And it's quite terrifying. <laughs> Still is. Yeah, it's, it's such a life entrepreneur. Yeah, very terrifying. <laughs> Anyone who tells you that being an entrepreneur is easy no matter what the job is, you're like, that's, that person is not an entrepreneur. They're just making that up because it, it's always just, oh my God. And so tell us more about your shoe line now because the one thing I really love about your shoes, and I, I, I'm mildly biased because I have a couple of pairs, um, is that for someone who doesn't want to wear a big heavy heel, uh, you've, you've kind of got that magic number for the heel. I think it's like two and a half or two and a half. It's uh, 70, 75 millimeters, which is about three inches, a little under three inches. Yeah, yeah. Like a touch under three, but it's yeah. a perfect height. Yeah. And and they're just and you didn't go with like a typical pointed toe. It's more of an almond shaped toe, and that means so much because you know me. We're talking about I have bigger feet, <laughs> and so it's hard for me to find shoes that like when they're pointy don't feel like ow my toes. Right. So what made you come up with the designs that you have that are that are, that are in your collection? So one of the things that I really felt was needed in. Um, really for myself, I actually ended up having two foot surgeries, both toes, both big toes, not bunions, but I had um, I had bone spurs that was so painful. Um, Real brown spurs? <laughs> yes. Um, and so those, those were just, you know, I, I partly I had probably done it to myself because I like to walk around in heels everywhere. And that probably wasn't the smartest thing. And partly is DNA. You know, there are men who absolutely don't wear any kind of heels who, who have exactly the same thing. So, um, but I think after having kids, your feet do change a little bit. They tend to, they just change a bit. It might change shape, size, mind. One of the things that terrifies me about the kill my parent one day. It, it's okay. <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth it. Um uh, and uh, and so I just felt like, gosh, everything, I, I love beautifully made shoes. I like things that are in a beautiful quality. Um, I would like to have shoes like that that I can walk everywhere and that can fit into my life. And I don't have to think too hard. I can rush out, take the kids to school, and then come here and talk to you, um, go to a meeting, or maybe meet a friend later and have a bite to eat. Like I, don't, I just don't want to carry shoes with me. I mean, that's really what it came down to. I don't want to have a bag carrying, you know, all these different shoes. You know, I think it's interesting because I feel like that's a New York thing that people in other places don't understand. That, like, women in New York literally live this double life. Yes. Whether it's at their office or it's in their bag. Yeah. Like, at their office, there is a whole shoe collection underneath their desk of, yes. of heels that they will wear in the office but won't wear outside the building. Absolutely. Or, 
they're carrying them in these like cute little tote bags in their bags, which is why everyone's bag in New York is much bigger than anywhere else because inside that bag are expensive shoes. Yeah. And then you'll see women, and we all have seen this, like right outside the building. Taking off. One, <laughs> on, one hand yeah. on the building to hold themselves up, and then the other one like shoving their heel on and like putting their foot in right before they walk into a meeting. And you're like, this is so wrong. It's so bad in it. But like, it's something we, it's, and it, it's decidedly a New York thing and a city thing because we're always in the go and we don't have time to like have a shoe that doesn't fit us properly. So, like, all right, I'll wear flats. Until I'm right before the building, and I throw a pair of heels. And yeah. then when I get out, I'm going to put these flats back on because the shoes are killing me. And, and that's, that, that was really the inspiration because I have to say, when I moved to New York, I would. Um, my first uh, when I my first job was on Madison Avenue in the 30s, so you know it was right, lots of subways there, and I would see all these women dressed really prettily, and then they had these big sneakers. You know now it's a sneaker trend. It's you see trendy sneakers, but they weren't that trendy back then. There and was, I were, just thought, why don't you like why why? And that was really one of the inspirations. So for me, when it came to um, designing and and I also want things that are more timeless that are you know again I I really relate to furniture I you don't change your couch every six months a year right you want something that's beautiful that's clean that's crisp lines that's comfortable Uh, and I think of the shoes that I design are made with I always I always tell the factory like I you know I the leathers have to be soft like they have to be you you're putting them on your feet which is the most important one of the most important parts of your body um and i just you know another thing that inspired me and um my husband one of his favorite things to do on a date night is to just walk around which is my probably not my most favorite thing to do because i like to know that we're going to go to a certain place and you know we have a reservation and i know that i have to walk five minutes or jump into a cab or a subway. And I really, it always makes me think is that if if my husband says, let's walk around, can I walk around in In these? these Can I walk around in these shoes? And he's really the one who also gave me a big push and said, you just have to do it. I know you're scared, but just like, do this thing. You've got to make these shoes. And so that's really, um, all these things came, I didn't, all these things came into place and I, when it came to designing, I didn't want, um, or I felt I really wanted something that was very, um, that was very streamlined, that was also timeless and that you could, you know, wear time after time. And for me, the, like the ballerina I've designed, the Nina Ballerina is something that's like very pretty on the foot. It's super comfortable. It has a little bit of a wedge and it's you can just walk around for hours and hours and that I always think about you know the walking around and those date nights I may have walking around (laughs) of course and so question for you so I do you plan on doing a sneaker because I you know I it's my little pair of shoes similarly started when I was a little kid and I was just fascinated by all things shoes and my mom she's about she's like a size eight and a half like yeah eight eight and a half and I quickly outgrew her shoes. So I was like, oh no, I, I can't get my mom's shoes, I'm gonna have to get my own. So I gotta figure out ways to like get my own shoes. And so I was obsessed of all things shoes. And so I've had every heel under creation. Obviously there are Louboutins and Nellos in my closet. However, the things I wear now are all sneakers. 
It's mm. really crazy to me because I literally find myself making the choice to find fashionable, affordable sneakers that nobody else has. And I've been, and I think this has been like, I want to say like the last three years for me, I've gone from doing like boots that were always kind of cool and like, you know, different styles, different heels. And I have those still, but there is something unique about this sneaker trend. And I'd love to hear what you think about it. I think... As we vote for sneakers today. Uh, yes. I think the sneaker trend is fabulous because there are just so many more options. I mean, you, you know, there have been sneaker trends before, but, I mean, when I was growing up, it was like the Adidas, Adidas ROM. You know, that was like the sneaker everybody has. But now there are so many sneakers, so interesting, so many different materials. Some are crazy, some are not. Those there's scary just like <laughs> there's a scary triple quadruple soles oh. Gucci with all kinds of fabulous studded, studded things. I mean, some of it is <laughs> silly. Garish. You know, it's not for me. But um, it, you know, I think once women start, and then they are obviously they're wearing very pretty floral dresses with fabulous sneakers. So I think. I think sneakers are probably not going away. So it's definitely in the back of my head, and I do think about it. Then the next thing is, okay, so then there are so many sneakers, then it has to be something that's different of, of what's offered out there. And there are fabulous sneakers offered out there from amazing brands, so, I mean, from the athleisure brand. So um, it's definitely in the back of my head, uh, and again, I would have to think about what would, how do you make it stand out? You know, is it, is it the shoe meets the sneaker that has, a the, you know, a little bit of a of a twist, a more sophisticated sneaker? Yeah, I think I think that's the thing that I I found interesting that I've tried to look for in terms of the ones that I wear because I don't want it because I go a lot from day to night because I find myself running around all day long. Yeah, and it's like I don't want to wear something that looks like a regular like. No tennis shoe. That's, right, right. That doesn't do the trick, and and, and usually black. <laughs> like, and so it's like I'm not wearing multiple colors. It's like black. <laughs> and however you do it, it needs to be black leather, black suede. Those are that's kind of where I'm sitting. So this is another for you, Sarah. You yes. Something, that's like sneakers. Something else on my plate. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so what would you tell twenty five year old Sarah um, now that you've you know, you knew from the, you were a child, like, I'm a visual designer, and you made that happen. Like, it's very rare that people, like, know when they're a little kid, like, this is the job I want to have, and then literally go and do all the right steps to actually do it, and then be successful at it. Um, so what would you say, so, you're 25 years old, you may still be in Italy at this point? Well, that was only last year, I turned 25. That's true, <laughs> that was true, you know, this is indeed true, but... Yeah, what would you say that you've so, time? I would, two things. First of all is stop worrying. Everything will be okay, so don't worry so much. And the, the other probably very important thing is be open to all the other aspects of the business you're working in or on. So when I was in all these years of working for all these amazing companies, I, of course, I was designing. So I focused on designing and the process of shoemaking. 
up until you know and and production and but it, I I didn't pay as much attention and I probably didn't have the time either but I didn't pay as much attention on well what do the salespeople do what do the PR people do exactly I mean of course I know what the job is but why don't I sit into some of those meetings right. I should have perhaps. Um, asked, volunteered some of my time and said, can I sit into a couple more meetings? Can I? Can you teach me how to do that? I'd love to spend two weekends working in a store and, and really see the whole process. So I think that is the part where I had it all there at my fingertips, but I never, no one, of course, suggested, oh, you should go and you should go spend some, you know, more time. And I'm sure if you ask your boss, hey, can I go on a traveling road trip, a sales trip with uh, some of the salespeople, they probably wouldn't have said no. Um, so I think I would have, I would tell that to my younger self, like be open to all the other things that are happening around you. Sometimes you don't have the time. I mean, these are, you're like constantly on a deadline. But if, if I probably would have, learned so many other things that I'm learning now, but I, I could have had access to those years ago. Well, you know, I think it's, you know, I think it's now the trend that everyone's a hybrid. And that's probably in the last five to eight years where being a hybrid has been embraced because before it was like, this is your job and you don't do anything else. And now it's very much like they want, everyone's looking for employees who can be a lot of different things, who know a lot, how to do a lot of different things. So like, you know how to do Instagram, but you know you also can be a painter, but you're also a photographer, but then you also can write poetry. And I think that's a, that's a big way of looking at it, but I think it's a, similar to what you said, you know, taking a sneak peek what's happening with the sales team and like, you know, you know, you're the designer, so you want to get inspired by seeing what this entire PR process looks like. So when you're thinking about designing the shoes, you can, that's a, that kind of launches in your head. And, you know, I think now, as especially as entrepreneurs, we become hybrids because you... You have to be... You become chief executive of everything. Of everything, yeah. And I think that's where it comes. Um, I, I definitely had an, an... I would always keep my ears and eyes open, but I do remember meetings where, you know, the design team would come away going, oh, those people in marketing, they don't get it, well... Oh, the salespeople, they said this. But, but then now all of that is coming back to me because there are certain things that may happen or someone might say, and you go, mm, of course, I get that. You know, Maybe the shoe's not displaying in a way that when I designed it, I thought about it, how it would look on my feet. But you also have to think how, how, would, it, how, would, it look like, how would it look in a store or on a shelf or in a magazine or, in a, or Instagram in this case. You know, So... That's why you need all those different hats. And that's why it's important to specialize in something, but you need to also wear all those, diff try those different hats. And be another, it's back to the process. And it's back to where, you know, understanding someone else's work because then you understand, you know, yes, I've done a great job. I did these shoes, all oh, they're fabulous. But then they have to sit in some on someone's uh, table in a meeting as they're trying to recreate that story and tell it to a you know a buyer of a department store and maybe they're having a hard time because you put all these colors together that they don't tell a story you know 
whatever that, I think it's so important to understand all the different processes. It's like you really have to be, you know, the chef in the kitchen, but you also have to be the waiter, but you also have to be the server, but you also have to be the, you know, the, the end client. And I think if you can at least try all the different um, roles, you'll have a better understanding and it's going to help you the end result. Awesome. Yeah, I think that's that's so very important because now as an entrepreneur, the world is completely different for you because you're like, because <laughs> you know, now you've got Instagram where people can you know, literally buy your buy your, yeah. your products. How has that how has that world been for you from transitioning from you know being an executive to then becoming a designer who has to sort of start from scratch? So I've been very lucky that I have had. Um, Definitely a lot of people along the way giving me great advice. Um, I've never been shy to reach out to someone and say, oh, help me, I don't know how to do this. Um, there have certainly been some, um, you know, I'm not a Google expert. Uh, I'm certainly not an Instagram expert. So all of dealing with all the new technology, I think when it came to making shoes, I went back and contacted people I worked with in Italy, you know, all my all my contacts and the pool of people that I had a great relationship with. So that part was not as hard. The harder part then comes to, you know, then creating a brand, creating an image, putting, you know, I'm self-funded and a very limited budget. So I've had a lot of a lot of favors. A lot of people have just said, I'll do this for you. Um, I think the technology part, the social media part is actually being quite frustrating because there are things that haven't worked or people are, oh, you just have to do this. It's so easy. You go, well, no, it doesn't work or that isn't compatible with this or, um, you know, we just had a ridiculous issue on trying to have the Instagram selling app and it just wasn't working getting denied and we figured I figured there was a tiny little glitch it was a so word it's what like tiny little thing and that tiny little thing was that yes we had like some hidden other little glitch it took us months to fi- to figure it out but that we couldn't get anybody to help us and just trial and error you go do this take that do this so it's definitely um, it's definitely a challenge um, it it is a, I feel like every other person is an entrepreneur and that's great. <laughs> great answer. It's great, but it's also, you know, it's also challenging. It's a very, uh, it's a very crowded space. Um, I, I'm, you know, for now I'm sort of, I, I'm at that point of I'm going to keep doing what I, I do it because I love doing it. And um, I hope the force will be with me <laughs> as we keep going. Totally. So question for you, so what made you decide to go into bags as well? Because That's my other fetish. <laughs> it's just, that's always been shoes and bags, but I never had the, um, I guess I, I always loved bags, um, but I never thought, I never had fantasies about, I want to make money so I can go buy my own bag. You know, it was the shoe, I, I can't. But shoes and bags have always gone hand in hand. And most of, my, most of my friends will tell you that, oh, yeah, she always had a bag thing. 
So, yeah, yes, (laughs) and that's, so that's sort of, and it's, again, it's part of accessories and leather goods and, um, and it's just something I've always loved. I did have a, when I was, when I was young, in between going back to Italy, getting my first job, I did do a stint at a very beautiful accessory boutique. And so that just, you know, added to it. Yes. And so... You've got this really amazing collection of flats, heels, and bags. And for you, what's been the thing that has made you the proudest? Ooh. um, I think having dreamt about this for so many years and just always thinking that it was going to be, you know, impossible to do and so hard to do, um, I think getting over that fear of doing it, because it is very hard to do. and It's a process. It's a process, and it is uh, excruciating. And also, you know, um, I have a responsibility to my husband and my kids, and so it takes a lot. Um, so I think I'm probably just proud of myself for, having, for doing it. Um, and it's, yeah, and, and there's... There isn't um, there isn't a phase that's that I, I could say oh this has been so easy or anybody could do this it's it's a process and there's a lot of ups and downs um, and uh, but I think for me it's literally the fear factor it's been you know like that's it no matter the result I can say I did it I'm doing it I'm proud of myself and. The rest, you know, we shall see. Awesome. So, of course, Sarah, that was a fantastic way to end the interview. <laughs> Perfect sound bites. Uh, it was so lovely to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Um, we're going to put links on the, the show notes so you all can buy these amazing products and learn more about Sarah. And, and you can write to me through the website and ask me anything. And, and have her just wax poetic about the brilliance of making shoes in Italy because I could talk to her for hours about this. Um, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. It's been great. Cheers. And that's our show. Thanks, everyone.